Support for KZSU comes from Modeler.com, a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com provides tools for architects, designers, and construction professionals to discover, discuss, and specify products for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, this is Dom Dioro. Thank you, Shay. For our guest today, please welcome Dave Lennox, University Architect and Director of Campus Planning for Stanford University. For more information, feel free to check them out at www.com lbre.stanford.edu that's www.lbre.stanford.edu hello david we're excited and honored to have you on the modern architect today uh thank you tom it's a pleasure to be here thank you david tell tell uh, tell us how long you've been an architect um and how you came about uh, becoming a director of campus planning for stanford Well, I've been practicing architecture for 34 years, or I also like to think for my whole life, because I've always (laughs) wanted to be, I've always wanted to be an architect. Really? Really? Absolutely. When did you, like how? Well, you know, it started, I think my dad drew a uh, perspective when I was in second grade of our house, and I was very intrigued with how you could look at two sides of the building at once. And then I started building little houses in our backwoods, um, and I scavenged stone and wood and even a little ceramic tiles from a local house construction. Really? What city or what? Uh, I was in uh, Fairport, New York at Fairport? the time. Okay. Okay. So you, that, this is second grade? That was second okay. grade. So yeah. you kind of, you were uh, the calling. I never questioned. I, I always felt fortunate that I'd never questioned what I wanted to do in my life. Wow. Go, not, go not into many, that a little not bit. Not many really, people can say no, that. No, that's I'm not. Sure. That's why I really want to hear that. Uh, what, 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 what was it that you think? Uh, I don't know. It was yeah. something inside. I mean, I, I remember my neighbors saying, wow, he's going to be an architect someday. And I would draw, you know, houses and I'd put little prices on them as if I was going to sell them. <laughs> and I, I very intentionally went to uh, college to become an architect. Really? So even through, say, grammar school, middle school, high school, yeah. it was like, this is where I'm going. Yeah. There's only one moment, I think, in sophomore year of college when I said, oh, this is really hard. Maybe I'll be a dentist. But (laughs) I think that lasted about a week and went back into the architecture business. So a one-week layoff out of all that time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So how was the process for you to become an architect? Did you go to universities you go to? Well, I went to Miami University for undergrad and Ohio State for graduate Miami of Ohio? Miami of Ohio. Okay. It was Miami before Florida was a state. Yeah. Um, And... 
I think, you know, in retrospect, I, I had a very rigorous architecture program as one of those programs where every course was pretty prescribed. Okay. And I think if I had to recommend today students, I would actually recommend more of a liberal arts undergraduate education. Get really? well-rounded. I, I see the profession really heading off in many different directions and to do your job really well. Okay. Uh, you really have to know a lot about a, a lot a little yeah. things about a lot of things, you know. Say so, a little things, a lot, little about a lot. That's okay, right. Sorry. Okay, yes. a little bit about a lot. So, uh, yeah, that's an interesting perspective that you think uh, take liberal arts classes in addition to, or as a part of. I th- I think when I when I you know I do critiques here at Stanford uh, for uh, their architectural program, and I think what really gets me uh, engaged is the fact that the students aren't all architecture majors. Uh, You'll have someone presenting their design for an art building that is a biologist or coming from urban studies or is in pre-med. And I think Mm. that's really very interesting because you get so many different perspectives on how to approach a project. Yeah. And that lends to ultimately better practice, better communities. Better, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so how did you, did you start off, uh, once you became an architect, did you start your own practice? Did you work for a firm? I've always worked for firms. Okay. Um, and I, my first primary job was, I was there 11 years and worked for a smaller firm. Okay. And I think that was important because I became a generalist, uh, which meant I, I had to know how to design, present, uh, detail buildings, uh, go out into the construction site. Um, I think in larger firms, sometimes you get a little bit more specialized. Uh, but in a smaller firm, you really have to do everything. Yeah. So is it is a requirement or because just by, by its the nature uh, structure? It's, it's small. Okay. It's okay, a so smaller small. firm. Yeah. Would that be another suggestion that you have in addition to the liberal arts into architecture? Uh, abso- absolutely. I think with... getting exposed to different types of, of sizes of firms, different types of firms is really important. I mean, back in my day, I think that uh, people change jobs less than they okay. do today. I mean, students today and people getting into the workforce, um, they look to continue to, to evolve their career, I think, more regularly than, regularly than we did. Yeah. And so, so you started with a, uh, working with a, a firm. Did you have, you have your own firm? No, you, I've no, always okay. worked for others. I was, okay. um, in my second firm, I was a principal. Okay, so you're a principal. Was a part, part. Okay. How was that? Owner. Yeah. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah. I, I, I directed a studio. Um, okay. And... I was there for eight years and did work um, in corporate uh, okay. and retail. I did transportation work. Uh, and in fact, uh, just before I took the job at Stanford, I was working on a project in Russia. Wow. Yeah. And that was a little tough. How was that work? It was tough. Yeah. It was tough. You know, I remember very distinctly uh, our, our boss saying, Dave, you need to go and interview for this project. And I go, well, I've never even been there. And they go, well, you can meet Oktai, who is our marketing okay. guy, and meet him. You can do the interview. So I flew to Moscow by myself, uh, and I found myself in this room of, of 15 gentlemen sitting oh. behind a boardroom table. None of them spoke English, and we couldn't get our PowerPoint to work. Oh. And so we... Are you uh, kidding? As, wow. as, as Oktai was struggling to delete photos... <laughs> I was trying – I typically could dance and, and sing and, and put on a show, but nobody could understand me. Um, and I said, we'll never get this job. We got it. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, we, the job was really only a six-week gig. Um, six months into it, I was still negotiating the contract to do the six-week gig, and I had already 
been to Moscow six times just to negotiate the contract to do a six-week project. So it was it was very tough. Wow. So how else was it just culturally there uh, to work with the in, people? In, yeah, in Russia. Well, I, I think um, what was important is they wanted a Western, an American building. They were It was a bank. They were doing a spec office mm. building. They wanted a, a firm from America and wanted to make sure that it had all the bells and whistles that we would provide. Okay. Uh, and so that was really what was driving them. But the the process to build buildings there uh, was quite quite different. Yeah, how so? Yeah, it, um, it, it, uh, Probably a little more corrupt. Okay. That's all I can it, say. Okay. It, 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 it wasn't something we could participate in, and that's what made the, the challenge <laughs> of, of getting the contract signed so difficult. Okay, so it wasn't, it wasn't so many regulations and so many requirements? <laughs> Actually, no, there was quite a few regulations. Okay. They're very regulated there. In fact, when you hand in your, your permit set uh, to the, uh, the uh, jurisdictions, uh-huh. you have to have these huge binders for everything from I'm going to take down a tree to I'm, I'm going to really? lock wow. the, the view of the person in the part, apartment behind, how are you going to deal with rats, with life safety. And each one of those has to be in, uh, you know, signed by each of the officials, yeah. and that's what could take a yeah. long time. Wow. Now, how much of, um, of that project was you doing the kind of the sing and dance part, and how much was it that, that they wanted an American firm to have a... Uh, uh, they wanted that American building in I, I, I think Moscow. it was we had taken them on a tour uh, after that first interview. Um, okay. We took them on a tour of some of the buildings we had done in Europe. And that oh. was fascinating because I hadn't been to some of the buildings my firm had done in <laughs> Europe. And we started in London, but then we had to go to Oslo. And I found myself at the tail end of the tour, the only person from my firm with the bank uh, official and his wife, and we both got off the plane in Oslo, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and we both realized neither of us spoke the same language. (laughs) (laughs) And so we had to interpret. Um, We walked around. Like um, how? With your hands, or you found somebody? Well, we were, I remember eating, (laughs) we went to a restaurant, and they had uh, the menu in Norwegian and English, and I had to act out the food, so I ended up... (laughs) I ended up, I remember they had reindeer on the menu. I had to do the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer <laughs> thing with the, the antlers and the red nose. And he got I it. I love this. This yeah, is great. Yeah, yeah. But we got the job after that. Okay, so yeah. I must have been, he must have been embarrassed for me. <laughs> okay. So, so you've got, the, you worked in Russia and then you, you obviously you came back to the States. What, what, uh, how long were you at the, the, the firm before you became, you came to Stanford? So literally, um, I was probably uh, just returning from my sixth trip in Russia, and pretty down. It was it was it was kind of a, a very difficult situation for me. Down I, is like professionally, or uh, just or? just that was a hard project. Okay, and I was like, oh man, this is this isn't what I signed up for. And probably within a week or two, I got a call from a headhunter. Okay, uh, and they said they were looking for a university architect at Stanford, and. I said, oh, great. I, I know John Elway. I mean, that's, that's really all I <laughs> that knew about Stanford. Okay. That's really I didn't know too much about it. And <laughs> the best part of it was it was a headhunter who was going to interview me in Columbus, Ohio. And I said, well, you know, let's just meet in the airport because he was flying out. And it happened to be the same day all the partners in our firm were flying out of the airport. Oh, my. And so I freaked out. And okay. I said, I'm going to have to – I'll rent a room at the airport for the interview. This really happened. You can't this script happened. these yeah, things. No, and I said, I, I can't <laughs> risk being seen by the partners yeah. having an interview. And so I, I guess I made first cuts. 
and that's when I got invited out to Stanford. Okay. So that was year 20... 2000? 2004, at the end of 2004. Okay. So you were, <laughs> sounds like you're almost a stowaway, you know, trying to get out here. It was, it was, yeah. That's it was hilarious. Fun. It was fun. No, I love those reality situations. And I've never, I never told anybody this before, but my, um, <laughs> one of my best friends had worked here. Okay. And it turned out he had given a bunch of names to the headhunters. Mine was one. Um, and, um, I was planning on vacationing out here anyways. I said, why not use the interviews? If it can, you know, they can pay my way out here. That's awesome. If you can get away from them. Yeah. Like yeah. You, you did. So you came out here when, when you were here. What was your thoughts, you know, initially? So I, I you know, wanted to, <coughs> wanted to take a look around um, the day before the interview. So okay. uh, my friend dropped me off at the, the head of the Oval. Okay. Uh, and I remember walking into the main quad and almost shed a tear. I mean, it was it's so beautiful. It was 7 in the morning. The fog was coming in over the hills. And as the sun came up, this the arches and the carvings and the, the beautiful proportions mm-hmm. just, just blew me away. And yeah. I said, wow, this, this, this is a great place. And, you know, later in the day, I walked into another building, which is a very contemporary building, uh, the Clark Center. And the courtyard of that building is all glass. And you can see all the research and all the laboratories. And I, I just remember thinking, great things must happen at this university. <laughs> and uh, at that point, I said, oh, I, maybe I should be more serious yeah. about this job. <laughs> this could be a really good gig. Yeah. So that was your first experience. So when you went home, when you, when you went home, um, did you get the call like, hey, they loved you or they like you, they want to hear you again? No. Um, I made the third round. Okay. So and, three rounds. And. I ended up coming back, I think, uh, right before the holidays in December. And um, this is 2004? 2004. Okay. And I, I, I think I remember, you know, that got asked, are you really serious? Because yeah. they, I think bringing people here from the Midwest is quite difficult. It's, it's hard to adapt, I think, to, uh, you know, the economy. Yeah, sure. The price of housing here. And they always want to make sure that they ask the question, how serious are you before we really go forward to making an offer? But they did. Yeah. And I think I remember I, I gave my notice at my old job like the day before I left for a Christmas holiday. And, and, uh, well, were they? Were they like, oh, no, don't go? No, you know what? The, um, the chairman of the company, and it was a 600 person company, it was a big firm. He just looked at me and he says, I can't compete with that. That is a great job. Oh. And, and, you know, it's, it's really important. Um, we're going to, you know, it's hard to replace you, but yeah. I think Stanford, you can't, you can't do better than Stanford. So. Yeah. So you you decided you're coming out here, and so what was it? What was uh, we talked a little bit about in, in the green room? What was some of the challenge? Like uh, it wasn't a challenge, but like the culture just of California and the rhythm of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I, I thought it'd be more difficult to adapt from private practice to uh, academics. Um, both have politics. I've learned since um, you you work through those, you navigate through all of that. Um, it was California that really okay. blew my mind. I mean, it, it really <laughs> felt like I moved to a different country at first. Um, and I think I found the people to be a little bit more uh, well-read okay. as well as uh, able to discuss politics yeah. because more people were aligned, I guess. And, uh, you know, really interested about the environment and able to articulate that. So I... I found um, probably as much energy in moving to California as I did to uh, an academic institution. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Share Our Strength believes that no child should grow up hungry. 
in America. But one in five struggles with hunger. The No Kid Hungry campaign connects kids in need with nutritious food through programs such as school breakfast and summer meals. And it teaches families how to stretch their budgets to cook healthy, affordable meals at home. If you'd like to donate, if you'd like to donate to help feed hungry kids here in America, visit nokidhungry.org. That's nokidhungry.org. Thank you. Now back to the modern architect. We're talking today with Dave Lennox, university architect and director of campus planning for Stanford University. For more information, you can check them out at www.lbre.stanford.edu. That's www.lbre.stanford.edu. Dave, we're talking uh, about the, uh, the the culture in California. How's the, the you mentioned something, the environment in California, say sustainability. Was it, is it more prevalent, say, than uh, where you came from originally? Yeah, I, th- I think California has to be more sustainable. You know, I, I when I came here, um, yes, we had a few um, winters of rain, but it quickly stopped raining. <laughs> and I think that, you know, we really, um, we have to be able to adapt a little bit more than they do in the Midwest, to tell you the truth. Uh, and so we, on campus, for example, as we're doing landscape, we've had to look at doing even more drought-tolerant landscaping or more closely uh, take a look at the, how much the fountains use water. Okay. Um, and um, I think in terms of our buildings, in terms of the, the campus, um, it's, it's certainly been at the height of, of everything we do. And, you know, for a while, sustainability was sort of a buzzword. Yes. And, yeah. and doing a lead building was, oh, yes, we're doing lead. But um, we're finding now it's just part of what we do. Okay. It, it, is, it is sort of inherent in the culture. Uh, in our techniques and our process. Yeah, uh, we'll go. Re- we'll go back a bit to, just to the original plans of Stanford, and it was Olmsted. Tell me a little bit about what y- your knowledge of you know maybe the original plan or what the vision was originally. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, well, I, I always joke that um, my university architect colleagues around the country salivate over the fact we had an original campus plan. <laughs> you know, most universities, literally, they, they, they build a building, then they might build a second building and a third, and then you know, a trustee will come along and say, we need a campus plan, I think. Uh, we started with a campus plan, and um, I think the the sort of brilliance of the Stanfords were that they put together a very, very solid and probably cutting-edge team for the time. Oh. And Frederick Law Olmsted, of course, was uh, in charge of the planning part okay. of it, um, and he had his ideas, and he... He wanted to to put the uh, the campus up in the foothills. Uh, it was very much like the romantic landscapes he did for Central Park or uh, for Berkeley or for even an Ohio State University. Uh, but the Stanfords had been very well traveled and often went to Europe, and they just had it in their mind they wanted to do something more monumental, uh, more formal, okay. uh, very much like Paris. Okay. Um, and so... While he wanted it up in the foothills, they said, no, let's put it down on the plateau. Uh, we want a bold, monumental, iconic entrance into campus. And um, he relented yeah. um, and said, yes, uh, boss, I will do that for you. Um, but he actually had oriented the main quad a little bit differently and did not put the church at the end of the Palm okay. Drive axis. 
because he wanted to still um, leverage the beauty of the foothills. So it would have been the entrance and they would have looked at the foothills? You would have looked through okay. the quad to the foothills. And okay. the Stanfords came back and said, no, we, we want the church where we want yeah. the church. And so the, <laughs> that's where Memchu is. It's right at the end of the axis. Um, and the foothills sit beyond it. Yeah. Uh, it, with Olmsted going back and forth, he was from East Coast, is it? Yes. Okay, so he's from the East Coast. And uh, we talked about how, how, how much of a challenge that was and that you said he'd have the plans, he'd work on the plans on the train, he'd come back and forth. It was, it was quite a process for him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Compa- compared to the process of today where, you know, you can send a design to a client and get an email back in five minutes or a conference call. <laughs> sure. This guy had to sit on the train and, and you know. I love this story. Yeah, travel so, across yeah. the country, probably yeah. work while he's on the train, uh, very little communication, get to the meeting, get yelled at because he put the <laughs> campus in the wrong place and said, yes, sir, hop back on the train and go back. And so I, I think we don't realize um, that they really achieved a huge feat getting this campus built um, and the time that they did with a quality that they did and the, the precepts in this Olmstead plan are so powerful that today that is our mantra. Yeah, I get up in front of every board meeting uh, and I present any project and I always start with the principles of the Olmstead plan that we are continuing to support are X, Y, Z. Oh, and, that's and awesome. It's, it's, yeah. I, could, I could probably say with assurance that most of the trustees could get up and present the Stanford uh, long-range vision. Uh, because the concepts are so constant, and wow. that's really important. Oh yeah, important, but it's very rare. Yeah, that that it's that's. And I've seen master plans of other yeah. universities, and and they'll usually say, "Oh, we we can stick a physics building over here someday, and um, an arts building over here someday." But you know, I really have. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to be able to to point to those concepts of the Olmsted plan. He had a series of quadrangles. Um, oriented very sustainably on an east-west axis. So he was sustainable then? Very sustainable. This yeah. campus, uh, the main quad, was very sustainable. It was oriented in the right way. Uh, it had deep arcades to help provide shade. Uh, it had natural ventilation. Uh, the proportion of the rooms allowed the air to flow in, the double-hung windows. Uh, they used local building materials. They fed the students with, with local food and milk. And I think, and they were near the train station. Oh and, my goodness! And so when you think about you're absolutely right. Yeah, you think about sustainability. Great. It is not a new thing, and they yeah, use okay. drought tolerant landscape. Um, I think the Stanford's wanted to start by putting uh, grass okay. in in you know a large portion of the university, and that's one thing Olmsted said is California cannot sustain grass. This yeah. isn't the climate. This is a Mediterranean climate, and so. He was a very uh, he was a huge promoter of drought tolerant landscape because that's what they didn't have a lot of water here. Yeah, so not I, I go back to that. Not it's not a it's a, not a new thing being sustainable. Yeah, it's they it, touch on really go into that. I like well, that. Well, it's all the, yeah. it's all the same yeah. things. Okay. You know, when you do a lead building, everybody uh, for for decades would say you get your points for this and you get your points for that. And wow, we never thought of this before. But you can definitely point back to our main quad. And sustainability came out of necessity. That's what they had to build with. They okay. didn't. They so. didn't bring in uh, materials from you know Idaho. They built with what they had around here. And um, it's a Stanford, I believe, um, took the company that did clay tile piping, 
um, and ask them to adapt it to our clay tile roofs. And we still use them today, Gladie McBean. Really? And I oh think that's goodness. really an important part of, of sort of the ethos of the, the campus aesthetic. Yeah. So in keeping with, in keeping with that, um, I love the, the phrase, and I was thinking of doing this towards the end, but the caretakers of a legacy. Yes. How, how did, do you know how did that come about? Was there a person who came up with that or it's a, it seems like a mindset, a, a culture. It's, is it, it, it's a culture. You know, okay. in, in fact, I, uh, I borrowed that loosely from, I, I came from a historic area in Columbus and, and we had talked about ourselves as being caretakers. And okay. I, I think that when I came here, it is a funny anecdote. I, I was asked to speak to an alumni group, I believe in Los Angeles within three months of my job starting. And I'm like, Oh, what am I going to talk to them about? And, <laughs> I was, you know, on cloud nine, I'd taken the new job and I, I go down to Los Angeles and the alumni association said, what do you want to name your talk? I said, oh, you know, I, I feel like I've been given this great gift to take care of and I really want to be able to hand it off to a predecessor or a successor um, mm-hmm. in great shape, better shape than I even got it. Um, let's name this talk Regifting the Gift. Yeah, regifting if, the if you gift. You ever okay. saw Seinfeld? That okay. was sort of funny. <laughs> regifting the gift. And so okay. I said, regifting the gift. I got a gift. I'm going to give it back to some. <laughs> well, nobody came to this session because they all thought I was going to ask for money, right? So, <laughs> no way. Well, uh, yeah. Now they think about okay. it. That's yeah. Yeah. You okay. go to an alumni event yeah. and okay. you re-gifting name something regifting the gift. It's like yeah. <laughs> so at, afterwards, um, a very nice person from the alumni association came up to me and said, maybe we should change the name of your. <laughs> Your talks in the future. Yeah. <laughs> so, so came caretakers of a legacy. Yeah. So, caretakers of a legacy yeah. is really about the idea that um, we are here, but for a blip in time, and we want to make sure that um, there are a lot of people will come after us to whether they're designing buildings or that they're taking care of the hedges, um, and that the legacy um, you could look at as being the physical part of the campus, but the legacy is really also the faculty and the students and the great things that happen here. Mm-hmm. And I always look at our job as what we do to support that, okay. um, supporting the students um, that go out in the world and do great things. And if they can walk out of their dorm and take a look down the street and just breathe deeply and say, yeah. wow, I'm so lucky to be studying in this beautiful yeah. place, um, they might go out and do do better things. Yeah, <laughs> do better things. Uh, when when you became the uh, you became the head of the caretakers of the legacy, how w- did you envision the sort of expansion and the growth? Um, not just envision, or was it even part of the plan? Well, you know, I, w- when I interviewed, I didn't know. Okay. Now, we what, would two thousand and twenty-four. Uh, two thousand four. Yeah, I started uh, beginning in two thousand five. Okay. I had I really didn't ask that question. I probably was ignorant. I probably should have said, "Is there a lot of work going to happen here?" Um, no and I'm not quite even remembering if they had such a robust capital plan at that point. Okay. But it certainly exploded. Um, yeah. And you know, we really I think have done um, some transformational things here on campus uh, in the last sure. ten or fifteen years. Uh, we've built. I rebuilt uh, the whole business school, changed the whole sort of aesthetic ethos and image of the School of Medicine, built the whole science and engineering quad, new school f- uh, building for the law school, uh, three dormitories. Um, and so there's a lot that's, that's gone on, and I've been very fortunate to be part of it. Yeah. Do you have any interesting statistics like we have 
you know, 282 buildings and this many, uh, this much uh, landscaping, you know, any, any statistics that would kind of shock our audience. They're like, wow, I didn't realize that they had that many. Yeah, no, we're, we're, uh, we're somewhere in the 15 million square feet range. 15 million square and feet. I, I think okay. what surprises a lot of people is we also have a Stanford Research Park, which has been an important part of, huh. of it's on our land. Uh, started in the uh, uh, mid mid fifties or uh, last century, and that really helps us to provide funds for general funds that helps underwrite scholarships for the university. So it's it's businesses that come in, they pay rent, but there's fifteen million square feet over there as well, and that um, is has really been an incredible incubator of companies. Facebook's been there, Google's been there, Xerox has started there. So was that um, by design to bring them in to say, hey? You... It actually was by design. Okay. And it was uh, back in that time when I think um, it was thought that bringing the opportunities for graduate students to align with industry would be good for both industry and um, oh, yeah. our students. Great vision, and it's really huh? the seeds of Silicon Valley. Okay. So you've got you've got that with the campus. How do you – how do you – Keep, uh, how do you maintain that, the integrity of when the, the campus was originally built, even now, um, with all the buildings? And just, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it, but it, it's, like how you, it's like you have to uh, be sensitive to how it was originally designed, created, built, and still maintain it. Yeah. So we, we really look at the principles of, of why they built what they built back then. Okay. And it really, uh, it, for me, it is having a strong plan, first of all, a strong campus plan, a strong vision, uh, but also having a scale that's appropriate for a campus, uh, making uh, pathways, connections, uh, the connective tissue, I like to call it the landscape, as important part of the building uh, as the building itself. I think as we do new buildings, um, we look not necessarily to emulate the style of the original quad that's deeply carved stone and, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and you know, very ornate decoration. Um, we wouldn't replicate that today. Okay. But what we do uh, pay a lot of attention to is the palette and the quality and the integrity of the materials. And so many people will come to Stanford and comment, wow, this, this place really hangs together. And I'm not quite sure why. Because you've got a really contemporary <laughs> concert hall and a, you know, a, a museum, uh, a gallery that's very, that very modern, but it feels like it all belongs together. And mm-hmm. I would, I would contend that that mostly uh, relies on the palette and the color of the materials. Oh, okay. So, their experience. Have you, have you ever just? Well, I'm sure you've walked around camp, uh, campus, and you've seen people a few, from a few other, times. Yeah, just a couple, huh? <laughs> um, people have said. Uh, you know, have you overheard their comments on uh, what they're seeing, the buildings, the, the grounds? Yeah, in general, um, I think it's always a surprise when uh, visitors or alumni come to the university. And most alumni, when they, they visit a university after extended time away, are surprised, huh. honestly. And most people want the, want the campus to stay exactly the same as it was <laughs> the four years yeah. they were there. <laughs> And um, I have to explain to them that there's intent behind the planning, and um, we will continue to grow. Most universities do, but we want to grow with intent. Excellent. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. 
The Green Dog Rescue Project is dedicated to helping dogs thrive by socializing in a pack. As nature intended, Green Dog alleviates the stress experienced by dogs that come from a sheltered environment. Let's face it, if you are homeless and confined to a small space with bars or glass doors, you'd be stressed too. Green Dog's pack model results in balanced dogs, making them more adoptable and better equipped to succeed in our human world. To donate to provide more food, veterinary services, or anything else, visit greendogproject.com. That's greendogproject.com. Now back to the Modern Architect. We're talking today with Dave Lennox, University Architect and Director of Campus Planning for Stanford University. For more information, www.lbre.stanford.edu. That's www.lbre.stanford.edu. Dave, the connection of all the buildings, how do you keep that as seamless as possible? So it's not just beautiful building and beautiful landscape, but the space between, as we talked about, kind of like music is uh, the notes. Um, it's the music is the, the notes between the notes. How, how do you how do you do that? If there's a, a few minute answer, yeah, <laughs> not I, that there I, is, but uh, for me it's context. Okay. Um, and even with the university that you'd like to say is all um, hanging together, there are different areas of the university that have different sort of personalities. So if you went to the main quad, for example, that's multiple buildings, but they're connected by an arcade that sort of ties them together and binds them together. Directly next to that, we built a brand new quadrangle. Um, in fact, replaced what was really a series of one and two story post-war buildings, concrete block buildings, flat roofs, um, <laughs> some of the best research and science ever happened yeah. in those really bad buildings uh, and okay. you know, we'd never forget that but what we've done is replaced that with with greater density we replaced 149,000 square feet with 625,000 square feet but we ended up with a huge beautiful quadrangle yeah. and that um, is really the thing that binds those projects together um, we've borrowed from the main quad um, in that particular science and engineering area with arcades, uh, rhythm of windows, the texture, the quality of the detailing, clay tile roofs, but in a little more contemporary way, we put those together. If you move to other parts of campus, the arts district, for example, the buildings tend to be less about collection and more about, um, they're a little more object-like, uh, and they reflect the program within. So the concert hall is about itself. It You can very much tell when you approach it that it's it's contemporary. Um, it's about holding a concert hall. Yeah. Uh, where you move over to the Anderson Collection, which is a gallery for post-World uh, War American contemporary art. Mm -hmm. It's a more contemporary building. Uh, reflects, again, what's inside of that. Um, and the McMurtry Art Building, um, again, is about art and, and is probably one of our more contemporary buildings as well. So I, everywhere on campus is a little bit different, yet... Um, I think they all tie back to their immediate context. Yeah. Now, it, I, of course, this, that's by design, but that's not easy to achieve. How do you do that? Is it, you have the people you work with. It's the architecture firms, the builders. How, how, do, how do you keep that culture? Well, you know, when I started, I said, I want to create um, a standard for how we select designers and architects on our campus. 
And I think I realized in the first week that it was not going to be possible. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I every every project I says I, I had say uh, would sit in a different context, but we also are selecting architects within a different context. So some have donors involved, some have um, user groups that are stronger than others. Sometimes I'm the only client. And I think that um, every project is a little bit different, and you have to tailor the way you select the design firms um, for each individual project. Okay. Uh, what's What has been your experience in the difference between private and university architect, as yes. being an architect? Yeah, so, you know, when you're in private practice, um, as in any sort of service professional industry, getting work is really okay, important. Yeah. So how... <laughs> How do you brand your firm? How do you make sure everybody understands the brand so they can go out and market, uh, bring work in the door yeah. so you can keep people busy, um, have repeat clients by doing good work? Um, at the university, I've found that um, I am both serving clients, often the faculty or the students um, or the trustees, but I'm also the client. And so I have to to manage and direct uh, the design and the architecture and in a way I'm accountable um, when I have to present to the Board of Trustees for the designs I'm presenting, yeah. even though they may be done by uh, other firms. Yeah. yeah. And that accountability, you're, it's not just for obviously your projects, but it's also when you're just going around campus, you have to run into people, students, that if, if they know who you are and ask you, hey, why is this, why is this? How do you... How do you how do you kind of keep uh, 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 your uh, senses about you when, when they ask that, when you know you how much work and time you put into it, and you know the good reason and the right reason why it is what it is? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. I think that when you're working in private practice and you often will design a building or a project, um, you go through the, you know, the rigor of it, and you deliver the project, and sometimes you can't even get into it afterwards. Um, <laughs> yeah. We live with our work here, so I yeah, do true. have to walk by every day buildings that, that went up five years ago, went up three years ago. Um, and, you know, there's, there's always something that doesn't necessarily appeal to everyone, okay. um, and I often hear that. Um, and <laughs> we were often, often, no, okay. not often. Yeah. We were, but we were talking a little bit earlier that um, you have to, as an artist or an architect, be uh, willing to not take things personally. Um, okay. I always like to ground what I do in strong principles, because often, if if it's harder to argue the principles than the aesthetics. Um, not everybody okay. likes the same aesthetic, but most people will appreciate the principles in which you I arrived. I like that. Okay. Uh, and I think that when you go through education, uh, especially in the um, architecture world, you do. You've worked three all-nighters in a row, and you have to stand up and present your project. And often you it's very harsh critique. And you have to learn very quickly that if you take it personally, it'll just ruin your your year. <laughs> so um, you take it with grace and you learn from it um, and you move on. And so I, I'm often in meetings with user groups or even donors when um, someone will criticize something, the work that I do, and I don't, it, it sort of rolls off my shoulder and, and they have a horrible look on their face like, oh my gosh, they just totally <laughs> yeah, crushed this after guy. You. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, no, it's fine. I mean, everybody has their own opinion, and um, 
and make it work. Yeah. Do you work also with other university uh, architects? You have is there? I don't know if there's an organization of them or you just get get together. But uh, what, what do you, what type of things do you share with that? In that, uh, it's it's such a bit. wonderful organization and, and okay. wonderful. Um, I'm very fortunate to have colleagues. So okay. we do have a university architects association okay. on the board and. Uh, probably, you know, once a year we have a conference and I would say we have about 130 university architects attend. And what it is, it's an opportunity for us to share things that we have in common. Um, everything from we're going to our conference this year, the theme is resiliency. So we're going to Iowa, which had half its campus flooded out. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, terrorism on campuses. We're going to be talking about resili- resiliency with climate change and with earthquakes and how people prepared and deal with that. And I think we all sort of are in the same boat. Um, often, you know, we're dealing with the same issues, of course, um, but there's a lot of different issues. Yeah. So at Stanford, we've been so fortunate to build so much. Yeah. And I have colleagues around the country that um, one building every three years isn't you know, unusual for them, whereas we build, you know, 10 buildings sometimes in three years. And um, I have to be very humble sometimes because I'm very fortunate. Yeah. So there's an exchange of uh, of, of experiences, and ideas and thoughts as well. Absolutely. Like, yeah. We have we have, for instance, uh, case studies. Case, OK. And last year I presented a case study on our central energy facility and the transformation of our energy. Oh, yeah, yeah. On was, campus, which is just yeah. um, it's a dynamo story. Um, everybody was like, how do we do that? Yeah. How do you we share do a little that? bit if you don't mind. Yeah. yeah so we um, we had a cogen plant, uh, you know, in the 1980s, cogeneration was that was the nuts. Right. That was a yeah, cool yeah. thing to do. Um, and we were at the forefront. We did that. But it was 30 years old and it needed to be replaced. And we, we said, should we replace it with another cogeneration plant? But cogeneration uses fossil fuel. Mm-hmm. And we said, you know, we want to step the game up here a bit. So we have a very brilliant um, guy running our department. And he said, we should really do heat recovery. Um, because what we were doing before was taking heat back from buildings that gained heat during the day and just sending it out into the air. Those plumes you'd see coming out of the cogem plant were using drinking water to dissipate heat. <laughs> and he's like, well, why don't we bring the heat back to the, the, the new central energy facility, reuse it, yeah. and send it back into the, into the campus? And so we are now saving 50% of the heat we generate to serve 93% of our need. We um, wow. transformed the whole campus from steam to hot water. So we laid over 22 miles of new underground hot water piping. Uh, and we built a new central energy facility that um, helps us do this process. Um, it, one night, we flipped a switch and switched from the old cogen to the new central energy facility. And there it was? Literally. And yeah. overnight, we saved 15% of our domestic water supply per day. Uh, we also supplement this program with a uh, solar farm in the Mojave Desert. And last year, hmm. are proud to say at the end of the year, we reduced um, our greenhouse gases by 68%. And no other university can Yeah, I was going to ask, claim. are there any other? No. No. Um, and, you know, we're very fortunate we had the resources, but it actually economically pencils out okay. over 30 years. Uh, and so it was a pretty huge investment. 
but um, we are leading the pack. We have had tour after tour after tour. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Are there more, more institutions or agents, government agencies we've looking had, at what the heck you guys do? We've had the energy department come through. Oh. We have all these other universities, municipalities. But the, the real sort of bonus to this was um, as we were looking at the architecture of the central facility, um, it sort of went under the radar because everybody was really, really jazzed about the whole process to transform the energy. Uh-huh. And, you know, me working with the architect, we ended up saying, let's make this a spectacular building. It's not going to be uh, an energy plant. This is an energy facility. And so we worked hard um, and made sure that the architects and the architecture reflects the importance of the milestone in our history to transform our energy. And a couple weeks ago, we won a National American Institute of Architects Design Award for the um, design of the plant. Oh, that's which, terrific. Congrats. That's great. Yeah, which is huge. And yeah, it's, it's is that all over like you know, um, the news or does it, do, you, yeah, do you get no, PRs? No. Or? It's, it's won honor awards from the local chapters, local, okay. but to win a national award, yeah. uh, to my recollection, I'm not even sure Stanford's ever won another national award. And so this, it was really a reflection of the program um, and how it was articulated by the architecture that I think made it such a sweet project. Yeah, that's terrific. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU 90.1 FM. The Loop is a radio show featuring electronic music ranging from house to techno to down-tempo and everything that's good in the underground. Each week, the show features releases, exclusive mixes, top picks, interviews, and live guest DJs from around the world. That's The Loop with Drew Deep from 11 a.m. until 3 p.m. on Monday mornings at KZSU Stanford. Now, back to The Modern Architect. We're talking today with Dave Lennox, University Architect and Director of Campus Planning for Stanford University. Dave, uh, back to the Cogen and the National Award. That has, do you foresee that influencing the entire, uh, potentially the entire country? I think so. I think, yeah. I think it's an idea that um, many are, are finding ways to replicate. Um, there are, though, there are still municipalities, institutions that are just going from coal to cogen. So, so we, you know, are, are sort of two steps ahead of the game on that one. And, um, but I think, you know, our, our mission is to share, is to share yeah. the information. I think that's what makes Stanford great as as leaders is that, you know, we're inviting people to come here and and really understand how we did this and how we pulled this off. Yeah. How, uh, what other um, projects are, if you're at liberty to say that you do in the next couple of years, are you working on of that, maybe not of that magnitude, but of that, uh, that, that uh, are, tr- will be a trendsetters? Well, we do have some projects of magnitude. Okay. We are in the process of constructing uh, a whole new campus um, up in Redwood City. Uh, we, we actually have, uh, a general use permit, which allows us to grow at a certain pace um, and a certain amount uh, on our main campus. And as we continue to grow, um, it's, it's, it's been clear that the priorities really need to be for academics, research, 
undergraduate student housing and graduate student housing. Okay. And so there, there are groups on campus, um, such as my own, which, you know, doesn't always have direct contact with students. Uh, and we are building a new campus up in Redwood City. Okay. Uh, first phase will be complete in 2019, and about 2,700 Stanford employees will be located. Uh, and at that time, we're also trying to transform the workplace. Yeah. So what's what's really neat about this campus yeah. will be, um, number one, it, it will have the ethos of Stanford in a different location, but it also is going to create a workplace that energizes people. A lot of these... Even more so? Well, oh, a lot of these administrative st- staff people yeah. are located scattered around campus um, in haphazard office space, some um, with very little natural light or ventilation, um, and, and we are really focusing on making sure that uh, we are looking forward, that we understand how technology will play into the workplace, um, giving people a lot of choice on how they work during the day, Um, and just making sure there's a lot of natural light and ventilation and and color and, and sort of a vibe. Yeah. Dave, you and I were talking about this, and this is this is on me. I brought this up as my opinion that uh, um, the capacity of an architect or the, the skill set of an architect as a, a mayoral or civic leader, even a governor, um, what, what's your take on that? I, I think it would be terrific if you had more uh, civic leaders that had an architectural background, if not an actual be actual architects for the reasons kind of what we've discussed there. What's your thoughts on it? Pro and con, if you don't mind yeah, sharing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think there are some architects that would be excellent okay. mayors or governors <laughs> uh, because we have to look at things from a, a wide range of perspectives, the really big picture. Um, when we're looking, for instance, at campus planning, we've got to have a long range plan. We have to envision it being there 50 to 100 years from now. But you also have to, to understand the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, you have to be able to communicate well, and you need to be able to get along with people well and need to be able to take criticism well. And, um, yeah, I'm not saying that every architect actually is able to do mm-hmm, that. Yeah. And when you look at some firms, I know Art, Art Gensler was on the, yeah. the show, and he talked a little bit more about how their firm grew because they were more of a constellation of stars and they mm-hmm. were more about – um, people coming together to do great things rather than one person telling everyone how to do great things. Yeah. And I think that um, there are architects that still do that. Yeah. And they may not make the best mayors. Okay. But I think there are some that really do understand how to put together the puzzle pieces. Yeah. And you, you, you said um, looking forward and uh, having kind of a harmonious, very productive, but uh, – fulfilling workplace so is that part of your mindset when you you're looking at buildings for the the occupants you start with people first i think so yes um one of the things that's interesting about the redwood city campus is when we presented uh, the design to the board of trustees um i missed the boat (laughs) honestly i I, I, I came out of the uh the gate saying you know this is a new place this is a new campus um it needs to be looking forward it's in a different location. We're not going to be tied to the this sort of the baggage of the main quad, you know. And so it was more contemporary in design. And and the trustees very wisely said, you know, we're we're putting a lot of employees in this location, and we want them to feel like they're working at Stanford. 
it needs to be more like Stanford. It needs to look more like Stanford. And it doesn't mean the main quad, but it does mean a lot of those principles that we've okay. been talking yeah. about um, need to be as strong up there. And so uh, we did an about-face and said, how do we infuse this new campus with a Stanford ethos? And it began with the sense of place, uh, began with what are the things that make Stanford great, the campus, uh, as well as the literal aesthetic of the architecture. Yeah. Go into a little bit about that sense of place. How, how would you describe a great sense of place? Well, I, th I think that we can always continue to do better. Um, okay. One of the things that I think we, we excel at is the, the spaces between the buildings. And we touched on this yes. a little earlier that... You know, when I first interviewed, I saw the beautiful model of Stanford, and I had suggested my interview that if you filled it in with plaster or concrete and took out um, the mold, um, that the spaces in between could have created as beautiful buildings as the buildings that created the spaces. Oh. And, and it's called figure ground um, yeah. in education um, in our studios. But I, I think that's something that is important. It's about scale. Okay. And it's about connection to landscape. Um, but as we we start to look to Redwood City, um, the sense of place is is not just physical. It's about people. And so how do we find ways to bring students up there to maybe perform at lunch? Uh, an acapella group that can, that can come up there and make you feel like you're still working at Stanford. How do we bring storytelling to... The campus, and so people feel like they're working for a higher purpose. Yeah. I think most most work at a, a, an institution of higher education like Stanford because they feel like they are just contributing to we're going to solve cancer someday or we're going to do something great. And I help doing that, even if yeah. I you know did the benefits or I wrote out the invoices. Um, I had a part in that. Yeah, and and we don't want to lose that when we move. Um, employees to a different location. Yeah. So working for a higher purpose, is that, would that describe it quite a bit of what, what you're doing? I mean, maybe you don't think of it on a day-to-day, -day, wake up in the morning and let's go do this, but working for a higher purpose without sounding too woo-woo. Uh, no, I, I yeah. absolutely. I mean, yeah. you know, when we do a building, it starts with knowing the building will probably be here for a while. Um, this institution isn't going anywhere. But it's also knowing when you're working with some of these user groups that what might happen in that building will get it might be accelerated because we're doing a good job designing the building. So when we're working on the stem cell building five or six years ago um, and hear a little bit about the research that's going on, it, w it was just enough to energize you to say, I really want to do a good job in this because... Something's great. Yeah, it's going to happen in this building. Yeah. So see that it kind of uh, <laughs> it kind of uh, validates a, a bit about my uh, take that I think uh, architects ought to be in, in in civic positions because you're overseeing that. I know technically you're not obviously a mayor of Stanford, but <laughs> but or, you know or, or or that. But you're having to see the from the ground level to the built environment to the people and the, it, it, that you have to look at all of that. And a lot of uh, uh, a lot of people in a lot of capacities, they don't have to. They, that's they don't have to see all of that. Yeah, and I think you have to. Diversity is a huge, huge part of our new president's vision. And 
you know, one of the things, I think one of the more exciting projects that we've also worked on in the past, um, well, actually it was 15 years in the works, <laughs> is the Windover Contemplative Center. Okay. And it was oh, um, yes. originally, oh, yeah. you know, uh, a vision of a, of a donor who fell in love with a collection of artwork by Nathan Oliveira and uh, said, you know, it'd be great to build a contemplative center on Stanford's campus. Well, it needed a champion and never really had a great champion. We looked for sites and didn't, couldn't find the sites. But there's, I think there was the perfect storm of, of you know, the world's changing so yeah. quickly. The students here are such high achievers. They, they have stress levels that are hard to understand sometimes that we found that the program need really needed to happen. Yeah. And so, um, and we looked back and one of the original quotes from Jane Stanford said that, you know, if you don't have spirituality and morality on a campus, um, it's not worth having a campus. And yeah. so we created this. Um, that was 15 years in the making? It's 15 years okay. in the making. I, I think it won one of the um, awards for the longest project to come to fruition. And it, it turned into, it's good we waited. Yeah. <laughs> um, by the time we were ready to do it, people were absolutely really excited and energized by the idea. Yeah, one of our guests, David Ram, uh, Easton uh, for uh, Ram Dearth was on our show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great. That, that makes that yeah. that building incredibly beautiful. Yeah. And that also has won quite a few awards. And we're not out to win design awards no, no. at Stanford, <laughs> but, but it shows that the attention to detail, the attention, and I think that, like the Central Energy Facility, the program was so important to the success of the architecture. And that was 50, 50 I keep going back to it because that's a long time. It was a come, long time. Yeah. To it was come a long from. time. One of the places I said, hey, you know, at one point I said, why don't, why don't we try putting this behind the science and engineering quad? Maybe we could put it on the bridge that connects it to the earth science. And we got all excited about that one. And, <laughs> and then someone said, you know, the loading docks below, and you're going to hear the beep, beep, beep of the trucks while you're trying to meditate. So that's not so. No, every site had a, a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. Too. So you're you're really being a caretaker of the legacy. Trying hard. Yeah, David. It's been terrific having you here today. We really appreciate you coming to the studios at KZSU on campus. Um, truly honored. So happy to have you here. Really, really. Thank you for coming. Great. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for being here. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom DiOro. Our guest today has been Dave Lennox, University Architect and Director of Campus Planning for Stanford University. For more information, feel free to check them out at www.lbre.stanford.edu. That's www.lbre.stanford.edu. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California. Is a production of Stan and is a production of KZSU Radio. The recording engineer and production manager is Akshay Jaggi. Assistant engineer is McGregor Joyner, and we're all assisted by Bryce Carter. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. Thank you for tuning in. Listen in next week at 10 a.m. for another episode of The Modern Architect. Okay. Support for KZSU comes from Modeler.com, a platform connecting architects and other specifiers 
with building product manufacturers. Mulder.com works with architects from architecture and design firms to discover, discuss, and specify products for their building projects. We at KZSU thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect.